fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. This week, we are getting in the Halloween spirit with some sort of quasi Halloween films. These movies are perfect for Halloween. Maybe kind of. Okay, big. Big point of contention here. John and I planned our schedule for the podcast months in advance, months and months and months in advance. And in doing so, I I had suggested, because we hadn't talked about it yet, that I wanted to do trick or treat. And John was like, totally, we need to do trick or treat. And I was like, exactly. (laughs) I don't think the conversation (laughs) went quite like this. Okay. So John was like, well, we'll do it with the gates. Perfect. We're going to do it with the gate. I'm like, I don't know, John. It really doesn't make sense. Uh, Okay. We'll write it down and we'll figure it out. And then as we neared recording this and then having to watch the films again, we realized we were both talking about a different trick-or-treat. <laughs> I was talking about the uh, Michael Doherty trick-or-treat, uh, the one that everyone watches on Halloween. John was talking about this obscure one about backwards devilish records and um, metal bands. <laughs> Yes, that's how they're referred. Uh, in my recollection, I said, I really want to do The Gate, and I think a perfect movie to pair it with would be Trick or Treat. They're not exactly the same in tone or anything, but they both deal with heavy metal and the satanic backwards speak that you hear in records. And me, barely listening to John as I, I normally do, was like, great, I've been <laughs> wanting to do Trick or Treat, but I want to do it on Halloween. I remember specifying <laughs> Trick or Treat and saying there are two movies and I'm not referring <laughs> Referring to the Michael Doherty one. <laughs> I still want to fight about it. Yeah, well, clearly. <laughs> so if you pre-watch Trick or Treat from 2000, uh, from the late 2000s, because that movie had an interesting release, uh, that was not the film we're going to be talking about. We have not talked about it yet on the podcast. Hopefully next Halloween we're going to squeeze it in somewhere. If you can think of a buddy for that film that we haven't talked about yet, please let us know because I really want to talk about that movie, obviously. Creepshow. I know, it doesn't quite get it, and I don't want to necessarily pair it with Tales from Halloween, but we'll get there. We'll talk about it. So, this week, we are talking about Trick or Treat Mm -hmm. from 1986, and we've paired it with The Gate from 1987. What a clever pairing, am I right? What a non-Halloween pairing for this Halloween episode. (laughs) one of these movies is definitely set on Halloween, and the other one should have been. Nah, The Gate gives me summer vacation vibes. That's fine. Whatever vibes it gives you, it's perfect for Halloween. It's a great movie to watch while trick-or-treaters are coming to the door. So Uh, says you. So says me. (laughs) Uh, We'll get into it in a lot more detail. But before we get started, Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? Well, I don't know if you guys heard, but a pretty big horror film may or may not have hit the theaters this past weekend. Halloween 2018, probably the most anticipated horror film of the year. Mm -hmm. We caught it back at the TIFF premiere and we've kind of been sitting on it since then to eagerly awaiting the theatrical release to though, get a I chance say. yeah dying to see it a second time uh and now's the point where we talk about how we felt <laughs> So, John, why don't you take it away? Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty lukewarm on it. I'm still not nuts about it, unfortunately. And I super duper want to love this movie. Like, I really, really want to love this movie because, you know, we've, we've had some lackluster Michael Myers films. I really like the Rob Zombie ones, though. I so. like lackluster. That's my comfort zone. You want to see Paul Rudd find a baby in a bus station bathroom? Sure. Okay. That's your bag. Okay. But it, it's hard to really pinpoint, like, one specific thing. I don't like about the movie. I think Michael Myers is incredible. Uh, I think there is some amazing camera work. There's some great shots in this movie and the kills are awesome. But I think it's Laurie that bothers me the most in this movie. I think all of the the many aspects of the film, don't worry guys if you haven't seen it yet, for some weird reason, we're not going to spoil it here. I just think there's too many avenues that the film explores and that they don't get to do any of them thoroughly because of how many different sides of Halloween 2018 we got to see. 
I think there's just too many things. It, it could have been a host of things. Like they had some really great ideas, but then fan service kind of came in and we had to do all these things for the fans or for callbacks or whatever reason or what a Halloween film feels like with the babysitter killers and the killing teenagers and stuff. It just, I think it became all over too much. And so the stuff we really wanted to see, we maybe didn't get to see enough. Yeah, because there's some talk about what Michael Myers is and what he gets out of this. And we talk about him like as a philosophy of evil. And that's really cool. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, great yeah. for revisiting a character that has a 40 year legacy. We should be doing that. Yeah, totally. Like all of the characters in this movie get to like really project onto him what they feel evil is. Like he is the physical embodiment of that concept. And that's cool. But you're right, like, we don't really go into it in enough detail. And any of the times in the movie where we could have delved into that a little more are instead substituted with just, like, fun, cool kills that remind you of fun, cool kills from the 1978 version. Yeah, and for me, a lot of problem comes in this movie, and I had to write a review on it, which I really, really struggled to do because it was so fresh in my mind, and I, I wasn't quite entirely sure how I felt about the film, and there wasn't really an opportunity to see it again until the release, but I think the marketing had a lot to do with expectations and how we're supposed to view the film. Yeah, like shaping your expectations. Yeah, so it almost, it created its own rubric for how I was supposed to judge it by, and it didn't just get to be a slasher on the anniversary of a slasher they were selling something that meant so much more and had so much more of a profound message Mm -hmm. and for that to only be a quarter of the film it was really hard to judge it based on that because i don't know that if they hadn't sold me all of these kind of extra layers of female empowerment and mental health awareness and all that stuff like conquering trauma yeah if i would have had gotten that from the film alone the nuggets are there Mm -hmm. but i don't know if they're explored in a way beyond a standard movie would. I don't, it doesn't feel too deep within the film for me. Everything beyond it sure does, but there's a disconnect between the marketing side of how profound this movie is and what the screen time is for that that realization of the characters. Yeah, and, and in some ways it's almost like the marketing is pretend like the marketing also is pretending like none of those other movies existed like yeah. this is the the sequel we've been waiting for 40 years to reanalyze something that has, has become like this gigantic cult classic yeah and we're also kind of marketing two different films we're marketing the slasher movie and michael's back and then we're marketing this female triumph movie yeah and then there's also once you see the film there's another third movie that they squeezed in there so there's three different movies and ideas within halloween 2018 and halloween 1978 does not have three movies in it it's got one really simple well-crafted story and that's what i think makes halloween 2018 struggle to be the best predecessor it could be we talk about this in a lot more detail in a drive home from the drive-in review that we did as a bonus episode for our patrons over at patreon Uh, if you'd like to hear that episode and the bonus game that we have recorded for this episode and every other episode in the catalog head over to patreon.com slash nightmare on film street right now And if you're already a patron, we did a quick little Halloween giveaway over in our Patreon post section. So be sure to check that article out if you haven't seen it yet. We picked a couple winners for a surprise little trick-or-treat bag. A few other things we need to get out of the way before we can get into the episode. We're also hosting a giveaway for the Universal Monsters box set that was just released. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. The Blu-ray box set with every Universal monster movie remastered. Beautiful, perfect, gorgeous. There's a whole ton of featurettes, a whole ton of special features. Like Kim said, it's remastered. It looks gorgeous. There's an alternate score from Philip Glass for the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi, which is awesome because that movie is basically silent. And if you would like to win your own copy, head over to Instagram at Nightmare on Film Street right now and enter our giveaway to win the Universal Monsters box set for all 30 Universal Monsters films. And lastly, I want to give a big shout out to our most recent patrons, Jason, Lexi, Michael, Matt, and Andy. It's babysitting season, guys, and I know you got a lot of work to do. Let's just try and remember this year that we should actually look after the kids. Don't invite over your boyfriends. Don't invite over your girlfriends. Like, just focus on the job at hand. Lock every door. You know what? In fact, let's just do that. You can do whatever you feel like. You can watch Repo Man on TV. You can watch The Thing. You can put that kid to bed so early and eat all the candy yourself. I don't care. Just make sure all the windows and doors are locked. It's the only way to stay safe. And, uh, maybe lock the garage as well? Like, if you got blunt objects in there that can be used as weapons, just lock her up. 
This has been a Halloween lesson. Anyway, thanks again, Jason, Lexi, Michael, Matt, and Andy. And a very happy Halloween to you all. And to all of our patrons. And to all of the listeners out there. And to all a good night. Let's get on with our movies and let's talk about Trick or Treat. Wake up, sleepyhead. It's body time! Rock and roll will never die. At least not this Halloween. You've heard of raising spirits from the dead by incantations, right? Yes. I did that by playing a record backwards. You're kidding. Sammy Kerr. He's a rock and roll nightmare. I am a big fan of yours. I've got all your records. Shut up! We are the bank. The bank is you. This message is meant for me. How can you listen to this stuff? What have you done to your stereo? I wanted a new one. Sammy Kerr. His fans won't let him die. He won't let them live. You should be loyal to your hero. Make it turn on you. Trick or Treat from 1986, currently sitting at a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb, a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.1 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So just to clarify, you've never heard of this movie before watching it. So you have talked about this movie a ton of times. So many times that when we finally got to the part with the record and stuff, I was like, Oh. oh, but no, apart from you being like, there's this movie and all the upwards in it. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> 300,000 times. Nobody else has ever mentioned this movie to me and I haven't heard anybody talk about it. And I am so upset that I'm only just seeing it for the first time now. It's bonkers and so fucking amazing okay can you picture i mean you've met my parents but can you picture my dad telling like eight-year-old me like oh you gotta check out this movie so great rock star kills himself then kid resurrects him (laughs) so he can like kill slash rape his girlfriend (laughs) yeah it's basically christine but with an evil undead rock star in place of a um 19 whatever the year is plymouth 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 Fury. Plymouth Fury. Right off the assembly line in Chicago. Killed the guy. Killed the guy. <laughs> Not allowed to back George in that Thorogood. City. Why is Christine George Thorogood? Because <laughs> <laughs> she's bad at the bone. She is. I love her. <laughs> don't, don't. We don't have copyright. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you only get one banana. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it a second time. <laughs> banana on it. Open up. <laughs> Music FBI. Oh, um, so yeah, this movie, it's where it goes <laughs> is a little crazy mm-hmm. and very 80s. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it doesn't, it doesn't quite make much logical sense. Sure. But damned if it's not enjoyable. There's instances of like strange gravity and cartoon worthy deaths. For instance, the police officer that gets the Sammy Kerr treatment. <laughs> oh, it's so great. So, yeah, he gets electrocuted slash exploded, but we only, we got a cut on his shoes, he drops his gun, and as we slowly climb back up, we realize all that's left of him are shoes. Are just shoes. There aren't even any feet in the shoes. Like, the feet <laughs> themselves have disappeared or disintegrated. Yeah, it's really good. So good. And there's a lot, like, there's a lot of really cool effects with his abilities, um, he's got some cool, like, electricity effects. Name it, Name one other ability. It's just electricity. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So. That's how he keeps his hair up. Yep. Demonic, <laughs> uh, devil worshiper, uh, resurrected by playing a record backwards, and his superpowers, electricity. What I don't understand is, so, what happens is, at the very beginning of the film, we follow the main kid, who's kind of an outcast, into metal. His name is Eddie. He loves this band, and... I guess he's like small time or is he big time because he's got records and stuff. He's being played on the radio, but it's the local radio. And 
this artist, Sammy Kerr. Sammy Kerr. Sammy Kerr is supposed to be playing at the school's Halloween party, but the town won't let him because he's a bad influence. And so in retribution, he kills himself in a fire. <laughs> and is that what happens in order to resurrect himself with like the powers of Satan? But he needs this one, his one fan who he spends the most of the film trying to attack and chase. And it's like... This guy is you. This kid is you. He's this. He lives in this small town. He's getting the same pushback for being weird and being metal. And you're trying to kill him. Well, see, the problem is he doesn't take it far enough. Like, he thought he saw himself in this kid, but this kid's not willing to go to the distance. This kid doesn't have as much hatred in his heart as he did. Because his uh, his whole thing was like, I came from this small town. Everybody hated me. I wanted to show him. And if I can't come back and tell him that I'm like the the fucking king now i want them all dead yeah but isn't he a success like doesn't he owe this town for giving him all the material that he has they didn't give him anything kim he's been at it himself since day one but that's the whole point they gave him the fire under his butt by like spurning him see i think that's a realization you get after maybe years of therapy but also just like a few <laughs> years of being sober as an adult oh. I just think it's it's really interesting that his goals are so uh, small time. Like, he's a huge success. And, like, one high school dance, he's like, oh, I'm going to commit suicide in the the flame, the bells of hell. You know, I don't know if he specifically burned himself to death so he could come back and play at the school. Like, I, I don't know. I don't like know if that was the whole game plan. Yeah. Like, like if it was go just to like, play at the school no matter what. Yeah. Like, I mean, that sounds pretty fucking great. I'm not going to lie. But, um... Now that you say it, maybe. Otherwise, I guess he would have played at the school at Halloween and then just done this some other time. Well, he totally planned ahead because his record's been pressed. The, the DJ has like the only copy of it or for whatever reason. But I wonder if that record was only made after he wasn't allowed to play at the dance. I wonder if the whole idea, oh, this would have been cool. This is like a completely different movie. This is great. This is like Jennifer's body mixed with Carrie where he comes back and he's playing at his high school and he plays a song and it's got this satanic incantation and then he burns the entire school down with everybody inside to gain his super satanic powers. Yeah, but that's not this movie. No, that's not this movie <laughs> at all. Instead, he does it in his hotel room with his band, which I can't find clarification about whether or not they were also Satanists Did and willing to Did he have a band? He had a band. Because when he actually does finally play the school as like this undead, um, really soft metal singer. Um, hey, that's fast way there. Isn't the band like the band he stole from who was already playing like who they know just, his songs. they just like shrug and start playing along with them and like <laughs> literally kills their lead singer and they're just like well you know live hard die young <laughs> <laughs> and then his song's just like i love rock and roll or something we're like we know we know you love rock and roll the way he looks at the audience though is so crazy oh i fucking love he's it. got the craziest eyes like he's tyra banks smizing for four and a half minutes but then he starts killing them and he's like you got to play your damn song and he enjoys it for a bit and he, and he lets them listen without like any repercussions it's all in the up and up minus him being undead and then he just starts like lasering them with his guitar <laughs> yep Yep. As Is soon it as it guitar? comes time for the guitar solo he just starts blasting people and all that's One left at of them are their costumes <laughs> It's pretty great. He is like uh, like a return from the dead Paul Stanley. This guy's got stage presence. Let's let's be real here. And like the lighting behind him. Okay, I, I'm going to take a step back. I like this movie too much. You do really like this, this movie. This is not a great movie by any means. No, it's a wonderful movie. I love this movie. And I remember really liking it. And I just assumed it was because I was young. And, you know, like, it, first of all, I'm a kid. So I'm watching something that I shouldn't be watching. But as I got a little older, re-watching it, it was like, oh, I'm l learning how to play guitar now. And this is like a guy that I idolize in a horror movie. Uh, not that I know who he this is. This is but very little about music, though. I thought it was little. gonna be more of a thought it was gonna be like Witchboard with like a music element. And I guess it kind of is. But it's more Stephen King, it's more about, like, high school mm. uh, dynamics and stuff like that. Like, it's very Carrie. It's very Christine. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that, but it definitely has all those fun 80s elements, like, the hijinks that they get up to. Like I'm Especially in shop class. Yeah, so once he... The main kid gets his hands on the record. He falls asleep listening to it. Uh, it's stuck on a repeat when he wakes up, and it's, like, warbled speaking. And so he's like, oh, I know this. Heavy metal. I'm going to play it backwards. Yeah. So he plays it backwards, and then... 
Sammy's talking to him through the record, which I totally didn't get until you explained it to me. I thought oh. it was the devil. And oh. then all of a sudden when Sammy appears, I was like, oh, why is he here? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> That's good. But so he basically tells him to go to, he's being bullied. He tells him to go to the shop class the next day at lunch or something. In like he, three words. He's he, like, yeah, shop he class, talks lunch. talks to him in one, one word, right? He's just like, nailed him. You're like, what? Yeah, he's... I don't know if there's therapy in the afterlife, but he definitely needs some. So he goes to shop class. He's just like eating his lunch. And then the bullies come and then like push comes to shove. And one of them ends up on like the pointy end of a drill. Oh, it's crazy. His tie gets caught on some sort of like fan belt thing. It slams his head down on a press and the press starts going toward his face. And of course, this kid only turns it off an eighth of an inch away from his eyeball. Yeah, and it's great. And you kind of realize, so at this point, he's been kind of under the spell of it, almost in the same vein as Artie and Christine. Yeah, well, he's, he's finally getting, got power now, he's right? He's getting cooler, and he's getting more metal. Is he getting cooler? He, he, well, he's getting. he thinks he's getting cooler. Um, <laughs> the girl he's got a crush on is talking to him. Hey, she was talking to him before he got the record. He's just an idiot. That's true. That whole sequence with the pool party, so she kind of sort of invites him to a pool party and he shows up and then they bully him. And they like bully him in like a really scary kind of way. They throw a weight in his backpack and they put him in the pool. Yeah. And she rescues him, which is great. But she's like so not, she goes back to the party, I assume. I think so too. Well, he kind of storms off. She doesn't chase after him though. I should, yeah. They almost murdered him. Oh yeah, 100%. If she wasn't there, he'd be dead. That scene has always terrified me. That was the scariest part yeah. of the movie because it was like such a real scary thing. Yeah. Because normally bullying in these types of horror movies is really inconsequential. You know, that's not true because in Christine, that one bully pulls a knife on him. And there's nobody else around. Well, the teacher comes. But, Eventually. But, but then I mean... he's in like more shit because they find out he's got a knife and now he's got like that revenge fear now. <laughs> Like, they pulled a knife on you just because you were a nerd, and now you've nerded and tattled on them. Like, you are actually dead. Yeah, the... Thank God he's got a supernatural car in his back pocket. <laughs> Regarding it not necessarily being about music, I think this movie has a really smart approach to music, especially at the time. Um, and, like, maybe this is something that's a little lost on us slightly, but at the time, there were... This is before we had the explicit stickers on records and whatnot, and everything was immoral and terrible, and they were talking about heavy metal music just, like, being really bad for kids and whatnot, and, like, even the president's wife was on some big sort of campaign against it, and there are moments in this movie where we see him in front of, like, Congress trying to explain the morality of his music and what they're doing to society, which is true. It's a real thing that happened. Um, there's plenty of footage, especially yeah, Especially of the singer from Twisted Sister okay, showing up. So, so my argument, though, is that this is all by choice. This is this is music's natural evolution into being for youth. Because rock and roll, when it came out during a time of big bands and swing, mm -hmm. was the same thing. It was the devil's music, or it was it was bad, and it was just the Beatles. Yeah. And so as that got more wide acclaim and more socially accepted. Things had to get harder and Music edgier. got darker. It's because it's for kids. It's got to scare the adults. Yeah, exactly. It's for you. It's not for them. That's always the idea. So you can't like be like, well, why don't you accept this? And then also be what you what you set out to be. <laughs> no, I know. But there are also, there's tons of other stuff in the movie, like whether or not it plays, it tries to sort of encapsulate the ego of a rock star as well. Unfortunately, we have some really bad exposition from Gene Simmons, who really tries to sum it up. Like, he believed in his own hype, man. Like, it's... I like that he de-glamorizes him, though, for this kid, because he's yeah, almost trying important. to, like, bring him back down to earth and be like, you know, you know, he was like, he had a lot of hatred in his heart. And, yeah. Um, especially, too, because Kiss is kind of what I you would expect that kind of situation to be about. Mm. Um, their music was kind of loud, and it was considered, at the time, to be pretty heavy, but they seem like pretty cool, pretty chill guys who just like love music and love the scene and stuff. And like Gene Simmons, I've always seen him as like a happy guy. So it's interesting because he was probably around a lot. You're staring at me like I'm completely fucking wrong. <laughs> Thanks, no, John. No, it's just when I think of Gene Simmons, I think of just like a heartless businessman. <laughs> like, and one, he's a genius businessman. That's but, fine, though. And that's yeah. 
that that still plays into what I'm saying is but that he's not one of those like tortured souls like I want to say like a Kurt Cobain who's oozes his emotions yeah I just think it's funny for a guy like Gene Simmons to be like nah man he believed he fell into his own hype like you mean to fucking tell me you didn't come on it, it doesn't really play out too well in the ending of the movie but also like the only way that we're able to get the musician the monster into a trap is because he has to come to the kid because the kid is is his fan like where would you be without your fans I'm you're nothing without me and so boom he appears into a trap which is really convenient but i mean is something that they're trying to say about music i suppose and i don't know as somebody who has just been like obsessed with music and especially like rock star culture in the in the 70s and 80s i think this movie is really like hitting the nail on the head as over the top as I it don't is. Know, like I'm not saying that this is perfect <laughs> and this is this is the Stanley Kubrick version of how we should all look at rock and roll. I'm just it's saying, so like, deep. But... He's a rock star and he's got his goals are so like he he dies and he's wielding ultimate power and he's like, I'm gonna go back to my hometown and terrorize the one kid there that likes me. Like it just it's it's good for yucks. It's a great movie, it's super fun. But like I don't understand his motivation. He keeps appearing and like fucking the TV up and stuff. He does kill um, Ozzy Osbourne, which is kind of great. That, oh, it's so That good. effect is wonderful. Where he just like wipes his hand across the TV. Yeah, but then the next scene where we're watching the TV, there's another TV gag. The lead character gets uh, grounded and then he sends his, <laughs> sends his friend to go get the tape that he made of a recording of the record. And the friend plays the tape, evokes the demon or the rock star. <laughs> can call him a demon. I'm cool with it. And then he comes out and he's in this friend's living room and he does the TV thing again and he pulls a lady out of the TV. But she's like mummified the moment she comes through the television. And then he just drops her on the carpet, which is great because they call back to it later where the, the kid's cleaning up the, just the corpse Just vacuuming dust. up the corpse. Yeah, and that's fucking great. I fucking loved it. I loved the friend in this movie. He's awesome. He's so good. Um, His name is... Sorry, In real that. life? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, so his name is... His name is Glenn Morgan. That's this is his only acting credit. I saw. And he's a director. Yeah, he directed Black Christmas, the remake. Yeah, and he did Willard with oh, Crispin Glover. Yep. Oh, no way. And he also wrote... This guy's like your best friend. A, a ton of shit. He wrote uh, Final Destination, X-Files. He did a ton of it's, stuff. It's, he's got to be one of the writers of Final Destination, right? Because... Uh, Maybe it's the later ones. Because I can't remember the, the writer's name who also did the Sleep Paralysis movie recently. Anyway. But this is your only acting credit? And he's great in this. He's such a good sidekick friend. He's good. I guess he just didn't want to act. Whatever. P.S. Have you ever... Because, okay, so like a a large portion of the second half of this movie revolves around that tape. He makes the tape for the bully to listen to because he wants the bully to get attacked by the monster. We should probably talk about that scene for a minute, right? He's at Makeout Creek with his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. He goes off to go pee, uh, and she's bored immediately, so she puts the he- she puts some headphones on, pops in this brand new silver cool tape, and oh, no, ghost finger, demon fingers come up out of the tape, and then they just start molesting her. She's very into it, but yeah. And it's so hot, she goes into a coma. No, but then like a weird gargoyle green thing oh, yeah. appears, and that's... What puts her in a coma? I think you that's him in his demon form, right? You definitely think she's dead, though, because he the boyfriend comes in and is like, oh, no, are you okay? And she does not respond. But not then they all. say that she's in a coma. And when he takes the headphones off her ears, they're melted. Yeah. Her ears are melted. That was pretty cool. But then later, we're in Eddie's room with Eddie, and he's like yelling at the record. He's like, what did we do to her? <laughs> <laughs> And then he's got to play it backwards <laughs> to try and hear what the message is. Answer me. <laughs> I love those moments where he's talking to the record. Like, obviously, it gets over the top, as everything in this movie does. But, like, when it first happens, it's so great. Because, like, having a message backwards in a record is cool and creepy enough. But when you're talking and you say something and it answers you, that's brilliant. That is a, a small, skewed bit of reality. Has he phrased that? I never I'm remember. not giving it to you. We've done 100 episodes and I can't remember. No. Um... But what is it that... Tiny impossibility? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but what is it that brings him out? What gives him the power to get out of the record? Because they they kind of ditch the record pretty early on in the movie. Like, he doesn't need to do it once Sammy's out. Because remember, it's like he... This is a good question. It's like he breaks um, the record or he... Something sp- like Coke spills on the record. The record gets caught on fire. Okay. The record burns and he's unable to use it I have it to say Eddie's mom is my favorite thing about this movie because she 
she's like the easiest way for them to raise the stakes in the early half of the film. Anytime Eddie's talking to Sammy or doing anything kind of sketchy or whatever, she's just in the background like, Eddie? And then he's like, ah, my mom. Yeah, gotta go. Uh. <laughs> yeah, like, and then there's one point where Sammy's like, come in, mom, I'm not feeling good. And he's using Eddie's voice and it's, it's great. Yeah. His bedroom makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. It didn't occur to me. It's a cool fucking bedroom for a teenage kid. Like, it's all dark wood, and it's got, like, angles and stuff. Like, he's in... Totally in the the attic. The third floor, yeah. Yeah, he's 100% in the attic, except when you open the door of his bedroom. And it's the the rest of the hallway. Yeah! So they just, like, they told the builders, hey, we got a shitty kid. Really likes heavy metal music. He's going to be 15 one day. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be 15 one day. If you could just not finish his room, that'd be great. Hard angles, no drywall, no insulation. Yeah. Especially if they hate his music, why wouldn't they take extra effort to soundproof his room? Soundproofing a teenager's room probably sounds like a bad idea. Well, she's, I think she's a single mom because she's got her boyfriend and they go on their Halloween date. Oh, that's right. Her skinny little accountant boyfriend who dresses up like Rambo. And she's Madonna and it's so cute. What I didn't understand was her parenting in that situation where she grounds him through Halloween. And then when she's leaving Halloween night, she's like, okay, give the trick-or-treaters candy and you can have tomorrow, you're free. And it's like... You're not going to give him Halloween off. Yeah, like if you're letting him off early on good behavior, like give him Halloween night. Yeah. Give him Halloween night. And if you really want to hold him to that, don't leave the house. Hey, you're grounded. I'm gone. Can't reach me because it's the 80s. (laughs) Don't you celebrate. Yeah. Don't get away with sneaking out tonight is what she's really asking. Yeah. That party, though, the Halloween dance at the school. Maybe this is something that happened in the 80s, but I've never heard of it. I've never seen it in another movie where kids can just show up with their own mixtapes and DJ until the live band comes on. That sounds great. It sounds amazing. Probably made up for this movie because it hinges on him playing the tape at school. I don't think I've ever been to a Halloween party with a live band. And it really upsets me. Aren't live bands just like not a thing anymore? I know. Like at schools and stuff? I just wish they were. We went to a party with a live band in Texas. For Halloween? Well, no, not for Halloween. Oh, yeah, that was really fun, though. They were great. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. It was like a big band. Yeah. Dressed as zombies, playing Halloween-y type big band music. Yeah, and they were on the ground a lot, and it was great. So good. I don't quite know the rules of getting Sammy Kerr Demon out of the record. All I remember is that he starts having a conversation by playing it backwards, and then he gives him tips on how to fight the bullies, and then he just keeps listening to the record more and more. It Maybe seems... that's making him stronger is like this kid's hatred. I don't know. I, honestly, probably. I think so, because now he has a purpose. He's needed. He's got this human conduit that he's going to use because he's like him. He's he's, he's going to come back and he's going to attack the bullies and then he's going to attack the entire town. But if that's the case, I don't know why we need his record to play at midnight. Because he's already out. He's fucking killing people, no problem. Yeah, so they do kind of set up this weird plot thing where the very beginning, after Sammy's died, radio DJ, who happens to be Gene Simmons, Tells him that he's got the only copy and he's going to play at midnight on Halloween. But then he gives... And then backwards. But then he gives the kid the record. So... Or a copy of the record. He gives him the record because he's already recorded it on tape. Okay. But the whole movie is like spun into play because Sammy's out and he's causing chaos and it's all this kid's fault and he's got to undo it. Mm Mm-hmm. But the DJ is going to play the record at midnight anyways. So once so they have to basically race back to the radio station to stop the music from playing, which doesn't really work out anyways because it takes them so long to get there that the, mu- the song is definitely played through. Oh, 100%. And, you know, maybe it's just that we got a preview screening of Sammy Kerr. Like, he was always going to come at midnight, no matter what. Um, but because this kid let him out, he's had some extra time to, to run amok in the town. I don't know. I think it's kind of cool, though, that he has the ability to go from whatever playing device is is playing his music. Like, it goes from this radio to that radio because that's, like, he's able to transport through his music. I was kind of sad about that. I wanted it to be the record exclusively. I mean, that'd be cool, too. But think about this movie as a remake, Kim. Well, it could be going from phones to Sono speakers. I wouldn't like that. Oh, that'd be so good. What I was going to say uh, with the tape is I get why they used it because they wanted him to go mobile. They wanted him to be able to do stuff at the school and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I get it. It's cool. The record is, there's something cool about a record though. It's the same reason why we still play with Ouija boards as boards. Like we don't have them on our fucking phone. That's a good point. Can't digitize a conduit. 
<laughs> yeah, no, like, and the, the, that's the thing I, I think I like about VHS tapes and records. Like, with discs, it's this digital thing. It's not actually there. We're just looking at binary code that's being turned into what we're supposed Ew, to look at. how lame. Yeah, but, like, with, an, with actual film, it's like the evil lives within it. Like, you've got this canister of film, and each individual image is there, and what scares you is there. It lives inside the tape. Like, this is its home. That's it's, very... That's very romantic. Well, kind of. Yeah, I am romanticizing. It's obviously not true. But I mean, like the same thing you could say is about like the grooves of the record. Also, you can't see like a little tiny needle is going to transfer those uh, like what, the, the diode and the needle and everything that's moving back and forth and the diaphragm or whatever. That's going to like amplify the sound. Um, you can't see what's in those grooves, but it's there. Just like evil is. Like, it's all around you. You just can't see it. Ooh. Yeah, more romanticizing. But it's fucking Halloween. This is what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Are there any scenes that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? I think we've mostly covered it. I don't really know why his nickname is Ragman. It makes no goddamn sense. Yeah, I don't know why any of the names are anything in this movie. Nope, nothing at all. Also, too, I don't know why they go for that big final showdown at the radio station, and then Gene Simmons is just a pile of clothes. It's I like, don't even know if that was Gene Simmons. I think it was the security guard. Oh. I think the midnight shift is just tape recordings. Oh. I think the, there's only two things I want to talk about. One, Gene Simmons says he turned down the role of Sammy Kerr because he wanted to play the cameo of the DJ. Because Wolfman Jack was his idol and this was a tribute to him. There's no way it was just because they weren't going to pay him too, like enough, yeah. right? He's just like, you know what? They, they, they probably gave him what they were willing to give him to play Sammy Kerr to play the DJ for one day. Because this is this looks like it doesn't have a huge budget. Well, yeah, and the later cover of the movie has like them. Like, yeah, are the Gene whole Simmons cover, and Ozzy Osbourne. And it's like they're both cameos. <laughs> one question I have before we're done, though. What's the name of his band? I have no idea. Is the name of the band just Sammy Kerr? I have no idea. Yeah, because they, they refer to him as Sammy Kerr, and like, of course they would, because this sure is his town. I'm sure it's on the on the poster in his room. No, the poster is just Sammy Kerr staring down at him. That's a fucking cool poster. Oh, it's such a and good that shot. Sh that shot when it's like so dark and it looks like he's standing above him, like. Fuck. And there's like disdain in his so face too, cool. right? Like it's not your standard rock star pose. Like he looks like he hates you a little bit. It's pretty cool. For his character, obviously. Like, in real life, I wouldn't have that poster in my room. This guy looks like an asshole. <laughs> I would totally buy that poster. So, Kim, uh, you've you've finally experienced the craziness that is Trick or Treat. How would you rate this movie? Yeah. Unfortunately, like, all the flaws that it has, like, it's just, you can't even fault it because it's so fucking fun. Mm -hmm. And there's so many cool ideas and great effects. And it's very nostalgic. They really nail that, like, high school outcast of the 80s vibe. Uh, I'm going to give it a three out of four. Yes! Yes! <laughs> oh, exactly. I'm over here. Three out of four. Two fists in the air. Fuck. Yes. I, I want to give it a four out of four. But it is not a great movie, so I can't do that. Like, there are plenty of movies on here that are quality films that I've shit talked and given <laughs> or said great things about and given a two out of four. I can't, I can't justifiably give Trick or Treat anything more than a three, and that's because it is fun. I'm glad you liked it. All right, let's talk about 1987's The Gate. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine a gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. And now, someone has opened the gate. There's this weird tearing sound there is the decomposed corpse of her dead father. Oh no. He's tearing out hair by the hands. You got demons. I mean, you guys were serious about that demon stuff? Demons? What kind? You've been So The Gate from 1987, currently sitting at a 6 out of 10 on IMDb, a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Pretty similar ratings to Trick or Treat. Yeah, they are pretty comparable. It's funny that we were doing this movie because I didn't think the two had a lot in common, but they do have a lot of like the same vibe, even though they're not 
the same sort of movie. Like, yeah. We we paired them because of the record situation and the the mm-hmm. rock yeah. and the metal or whatever. But the best friend characters, I think, are like exactly the same. This best friend is a younger version of the best friend in Trick or Treat. Absolutely. And I mean, Stephen Dorff cries about as much as Ragman cries in, in Trick or Treat. They make that poor kid cry way too much. Oh, he is. But he earns it. Poor No, poor little Glenn is a whiny, whiny <laughs> little boy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, all he wants is for his sister, his best friend. Yeah, their relationship I, that they set up kind of about her becoming a teenager and he's still a kid and stuff is, like, really cute because you can tell that they bonded over, like, rockets and yeah. stuff like that. And that's really adorable. But, man, he is so possessive of her. <laughs> And he is like, he's just very whiny. He's cute, but he's fucking whiny. I mean, that's, that's a good point. I guess we should just like basic plot. Glenn and Al are the brother and sister. Their parents are going away for the weekend. So um, Al's 15 or something. So she's cool to babysit after like much cajoling of the parents. But no parties. No parties. And they take, before they leave, they take the tree out of the backyard, which unearths like a bowels to hell (laughs) yeah at the gate as it were Mm. and the kids find a geode and so that they keep like fucking around in the dirt to try to find more geodes because you know get rich quick every 12 year old (laughs) and then it's just it just sets off this like scenario of even though the gate is there they have to open it and there's a certain like complete random situation of things that have to occur to open the gate yeah there are there's there are several rituals they need to complete with you know spells and not spells but like words of spelling yeah and it's it's very coincidental that the best friend terry is listening to the the music that was played by a band who like prophesized all of the things that had to be done yeah, they're their first and only band before they all did they all commit suicide or was it a plane crash? I think it was a plane a crash. Plane crash, I think. Yeah, so you can't you can't mess with the dark arts without dying. Do you remember the name of the band? Sacrifix. <laughs> What's the name of the band he's got on the back of his vest? The Killer Dwarves. Oh, I love that. A real band from Toronto. Oh, is it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. They're like green jelly in the sense that they are are kinda humorous. Um, like they do kind of dress as killer dwarves. They write songs about nonsensical shit. It's not like King Diamond where like he's actually committing to this his This is getting music. really nerdy. Okay, my mistake. I just wanted to talk about that patch being fun. Yeah, it's a fun patch. Terry is my favorite though. He is the best fucking best friend character of all time. Yeah, he's got some of the greatest reaction shots. Some of just like the greatest reactions, period. Oh, and his lines are just so good. So the sister has a party um, with all of her fucking cool friends who are so 80s it hurts. Like bangs outfits hair like watch for the party seat alone because you will like you will die but they end up doing this like light as a feather stiff as a board thing but they can't do it with the teenagers because the teenagers are too big so they grab the little brother glenn and they are lifting him up and then he's like levitating yeah and then he falls on the floor and because he's because he's such a little wiener he like runs off crying Don't laugh. I'm sorry. No, and it's it's scary. <laughs> He's scared. He is actually floating, and it's a really real, genuine moment. I love that he runs off crying, only he does it a lot. Yeah. Um. But then the friend runs off after him, and then Al runs off, off after them, and then she's like, why are you hiding? Why are you in there? And Terry's like, it's probably because he cried in front of everyone, and you're like, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he's just, he's got, he's got such real honest lines. Also, I just fucking love when he's listening to his music in his bedroom at home. Yeah, he does not give a shit. He's got, he's got the house to himself, essentially. His mother passed away a year ago. His dad is constantly away on business without even giving him any notice. He just comes home. Oh, hey, I'm away for work for the next few days. So he's got the house to himself. He just listens to records. He eats really old, gross, stale pizza off the counter. And uh, is essentially just like Peter Pan of his own home. Yeah, I mean, luckily he plays and stays with Glenn a lot. The whole weekend he's basically there. Mm -hmm. Which is good because they've unearthed hell. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, they find out that like they've already done a lot of the things, the tasks that need to be done to open the, the gate. When they're digging, Glenn cuts his finger, gets some blood in the hole. Uh, there's a bunch of moths and stuff, which there's a really weird sequence where they like put the moths in a jar and they're talking about how like cruel it is and how the moths will die. But then there's like a scene where Glenn watches them die. And I think he might be scared to get out of his bed. Okay. I think something about the moths scares him. 
and he like he watches them die and I think he feels bad about it but he's also just like scared to approach them at all I think that's part of it and a lot of weirder stuff is happening around the house like the light is a feather stiff as a board thing actually working um, later that night there is a bunch of sound and commotion and then Terry sees his dead mother come in through the front door and he hugs her and it's really eerie and haunting and then it turns out to be the dog dead the dog's dead and like there needs to be a sacrifice in order for the gates to become primed to open like to have the minions come forward and sort of clear the area for the gods (laughs) Um, and so like the the dog's death is that and they go back to the pit thinking that they're they're reciting these words to help close the gate but because the boyfriend unbeknownst to anybody else has buried the the dog in this really convenient hole in the backyard they are actually opening the gates and then a bunch of like critters come out and it's fucking cool i I wonder if those moths are the critters or if it's always just like the moths come then the critters come then the bigger gods come and then even the bigger gods i don't know i thought the critters were the moths because they bumble around a lot like moths in front of a light bulb mm. uh i just kind of like how bumbling they are they aren't really threatening because they just seem so like inept but they do start taking fucking bites out of yeah people. they do like start biting and stuff but they, they spend a lot of it's almost like they, they are definitely like pack animals there's a lot of ones in the background who are just like hover stancing <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep my heart rate up <laughs> and uh they're very cool i think they're like a combination of stop motion and puppetry and i heard that they did a lot of like forced perspective so yeah. a lot of them are guys in suits and then they did like really cool angles and stuff i think anytime where they really need to um interact with something in particular that's when it's forced perspective but any time where like they break off and become different things and turn into like tadpoles and go into the door and stuff like that's obviously all stop motion animation mm. any of the sequences inside the gate too are definitely done with them um... down in the tunnel yeah yeah uh, yeah, the gate. It's like a big hole in the dirt. So, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely think that's cool perspective too because there's there's sequences where um, they're trying to pull Terry out of the cave and we're in the cave with him and there's people above. So I think that's def- like a definitely like a really cool set that they made, which allows them to light it pretty cool. The coloring of oh, um, all of like the ethereal stuff in this movie is great. Anytime you add a floodlight to like fog anywhere, I'm so on board. Like just light some fog with a pink gel and I'm happy. <laughs> right? It, it I'm, always I'm works. Neon green, pink, gel, purple. Like, I, I'll take it. I'm there. <laughs> That's why I'm saying this is like a perfect Halloween movie without actually being set on Halloween. Yeah. And it's like kids alone. The only, the only thing is I think it, we decided it was summer um, <laughs> because they, they don't go to school. So. Yeah. I mean, doesn't it just take place over a weekend? Like, it could That's be true. It does take school time, yeah. I guess, because the parents are gone for the weekend. Yeah. There is a really cool sequence where we think the parents have come home to like save the day. Yeah. And it's just like an apparition of them. And it's a very goopy, gross apparition of them. Yeah, when he, when he realizes that dad's evil, he puts his thumbs into his eyes and he basically just like tears his face apart before his head falls off and splatters on the ground. This is proof that at one time people were trying to fuck kids up. Yeah, this movie's PG-13. Yeah, I want a documentary about that era in the 80s of people pg-13 films can you imagine like the cool thing about this it's got a very goosebumps vibe you're definitely following just the kids you're in the kids mindset it's their reasoning and how they would deal with the situation which is very goosebumpsy it's very kid centric but like the horror about it is so grown up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the special effects are worthy of a creep show segment yeah i always i think maybe growing up i just assumed it might be a steven spielberg movie because it has that sort of yeah, Amblin feel. Like, like an e. early I was poltergeist. Say poltergeist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just sort of has that feel. Because you're right, like it could just as easily be a kid's movie, but it is totally terrifying. So it's kind of like traveling in both of those worlds. And that's, I think that's what really works about this movie. Well, yeah, and there's some some sort of weird logic elements that I don't think would, would work if it was not from the eyes of kids. Like when they finally get the huge demon, who is kind of a little friendly looking, he's not too <laughs> super scary, other than the fact that he's too stories tall but he almost blesses the lead kid and he puts an eyeball in his hand i wonder if he had that eyeball already though and he didn't know about it and that's the only reason he didn't kill the kid i I, see honestly i have no idea what's going on there that eyeball looks so cool i don't understand opens his hand and there's an eyeball in his fucking hand that's almost like twilight zony and it it, it doesn't really fit with the rest of the movie but you kind of just like let it go because we're watching from the eyes of kids yeah at this point glenn is by himself 
Ralph. Terry's been oh man sucked into the oh we forgot about the old man. In yeah, the wall. I was gonna say he wasn't sucked into the wall. Like the wall breaks because some old crazy dead corpse comes out, grabs him, and drags him back in. Oh man, it's so great. And like that guy is now just kind of like terrorizing Glenn and his sister Al. Um, all throughout the house, and they finally find Terry in the closet, and he's a, he's like evil Terry now. And yeah, he's like, he's like go for attack. Terry. <laughs> yeah, she stabs him in the eye with a Barbie doll. Yeah, that is such a great moment because everything is like when you're desperate, everything is a weapon, and uh, like I mean, it's just a kid's toy. I'm sure somebody's had their eye taken out from a Barbie foot, but she uses it like a pair of scissors. It just something about that is so goddamn good. <laughs> And, you know, thankfully, Terry's got his eye back at the end of the movie. Everything's right as rain. Um, yeah, and the dog's back at the end. And the that's dog's great. back, right? Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. The only thing, though, is the fucking ending of this movie. I always get stressed out by, like, small situations. Like, I don't know if you guys remember when we talked about the devil's backbone, how I could barely watch the movie because that bomb was in uh, it so much. Yeah. This movie has a bomb, and the bomb is that the parents are going to come back and the house is trashed. <laughs> and so the whole time, I'm like, oh, I know, I, like, Glenn, I know your sister's been kidnapped by the devil, and I know your best friend is dead, but the house is a mess. You need to vacuum. <laughs> Did you get an odd sense of pleasure as a kid from reading The Cat in the Hat? I didn't read The Cat in the Hat. But you had The Cat in the Hat read to you? No. Do you know the story, Cat in the I Hat? I do, from the ride. Yeah, the house gets trashed. Yeah, and then, and then right as Yeah, right as the parents are coming home, boom, gets cleaned up. Everything's cool yeah. again. I just, like, oh, stresses me out. They set it up that the parents are coming back, not to have a party. And then at the end of the movie, the parents don't come back. They're just sitting And they're just out. waiting for the parents to come back. They're just sitting out on the curb and the house is destroyed. Oh, yeah. But literally after everything went down, the front hall is obliterated. It's basically just a cavern to hell. Yeah. And I was like, oh, good. There's there's roots there. So it looks like it was something natural and that the kids didn't do it. Stresses me out. Stresses me out. That's funny. What kind of insurance is that going to cover anyway, right? I don't even want to talk about it. I'm just, <laughs> I'm really upset. I need things to go right. Like the dog being alive really helped, really made me feel better. But the the entire house is like irreparable damage. Wait a minute. Are we to assume that their basement fell into the, the gates of hell as well? I don't know what the logic Because like is there, the floorboards Joe. fall open and we got a gigantic pit, but they definitely have a basement. Because at one moment where they've, they've got a, I don't even know what they need to find. They need, they need a Bible is what they need. Like the well, Bible's they go to in find the, the record at first because the record's got the most instructions on the situation. So they go to get the record, but then they melt it. The record gets burned. Yeah. They need to go downstairs, I think, to get the Bible. And because it's a movie with kids, the sheer idea of going into the basement is raising the stakes. Oh, I love that. They're like, ah, and so far And now it's tense. Nothing bad has happened in the basement, but they're they're just like, oh, we're going in the basement. Yeah, if anything, you need to be scared of the backyard, not the basement. But they're all like on pins and needles trying to go into the darkness of the basement because no basement ever in the 80s had a light installed. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that they're like fail safe, so the record's gone. They grab this Bible. They have no fucking idea what to read, but the two girls that were sleeping over, like Al's friends, Mm -hmm. are like, here, give it to us. We went to Sunday school. And so they just start reading like Psalms. They pull a random passage or whatever and just hopes that this will like be the right one to undo this demonic thing that they've started. And they think they did, but then they actually didn't at all. (laughs) And Terry doesn't know what to do. So he just starts reading it from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and ah, forget it. He just tosses the Bible in. (laughs) Brilliant. And it works. Sort of. Here are all the words. (laughs) How does it play out for you now, like, as a whole? Well, I think the story's kind of (laughs) crazy. Like, same as Trick or Treat. Like, it's got a really cool premise. Stuff just kind of happens, and they kind of just, like, tie it up and, like, oh, this is the ritual that you have to complete. I think tying in the record is a little far-fetched. But because it's the 80s, it kind of gets a complete pass on all of those things. Especially, too, because the effects are so fun. Yeah. Like, the hands under the bed. um, Oh, they're so good. Yeah, like, all the fun shit the guy coming out of the wall and he's like a rotted mummy and I think they talk in the beginning about how somebody was buried in the house or whatever at the no. very at the very beginning of the movie oh, and so damn. I think these creatures have it's true and these creatures are have just Using harnessed his body. him yeah that's cool so I really like that 
And my favorite, my absolute favorite thing, and I was going to save this for like anything else you want to talk about moment. Yeah. Which hey, I'm, I'm, Kim, is there oh, anything else you want to talk about? Yes. Oh, okay, good. There is. So throughout the movie, Glenn is wearing his little astronaut jacket. Okay. Which is so fucking cute because it's got all <laughs> these little patches on it and they're all like aviation patches because he loves like rockets and Saturn mission stuff. and yeah, Apollo and, and the big kind of point of contention between him and his sister is that she wants to go shopping and hang out with her friends and go to the beach and he just wants to light rockets with her and he can't because he, he burnt the roof with it. <laughs> and they, the cut on that is wonderful. Fucking great. Um, but in the end, after she kind of has like um, a realization of what she's kind of putting him through, his dog has died, all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff is going down. She stays and hangs out with them. She's got a fucking matching jacket. Yeah, they're and, best buds. I know. And the, <laughs> I mean, Terry's still there. But, <laughs> but the fact that they're wearing matching jackets and you just kind of like, I know I said that Glenn was really whiny and he is kind of whiny, but then you see like how close they were and it's so fucking cute. Those characters feel so real in that yeah. moment and like they get really good dialogue and the things that they have the kids say is really great. So like, I'm totally on board. I fucking yeah. love it. And also just like she has an interest that isn't just boys. Yeah. Yeah, like what you were saying when we go through the room at the beginning that's her room yeah it's all decked out with like nasa and space stuff and rockets and it's her bedroom like yeah. you would expect it to be his and and the, the fact that they don't make her too just strictly a tomboy like she is interested in shopping and she yeah. is interested in going to the beach and she is inter- interested in this guy who is kind of a douche but she's interested in him mm-hmm. she gets to be this fully person yeah and she actually gets to be a good sister because when there's actually demons and shit like she works together with these kids to um them quashed i guess yeah so like i really like her as a character like a solid fucking character yeah. right like so she's a great. cool sister who's at like a really interesting time in her life yeah now my point's just bullshit but <laughs> <laughs> but like you know all those scenes where we have like hands and stuff in the walls i love that sure we got it in Nightmare on Elm Street first, I guess. But what I really, really like about this movie in particular is that it's not just a blank wall. Um, we have pictures hung up and we have posters and stuff. And we are still seeing those same hands and those weird gravelly things trying to push their way through the wall while none of the pictures and posters are being disturbed. Now, it's a lot easier to accomplish than than it looks, I'm sure, because like there are just sections of that wall that are the fabric mm. um, and the rest of it's all rigid and drywalled or whatever. But like, God damn, does it look good. And like just the idea that there is something in the walls and it pays off later because that that's where the guy comes breaking through through and that's where they drag Terry in and that's where ah. his sister gets put. There literally is something living in the house. That's really cool. That's I also like when the phone melts. The phone melting is awesome. Yeah, that's fucking cool. Like just fucking fun for the sake of fun. Yeah. We could have we could have paired this movie with Poltergeist. Like just in how the special effects play out, the suburban neighborhood, the one house where everything's happening. On the other hand, the entire world is like dead. Yeah, right? because there's there's definitely like evil going into the sky. And just like blacking <laughs> out the sun. Yeah, and the fact that nobody like there's no sirens or anything at the end, and like are the trees not all destroyed? Or is that just like weird? I think at the beginning of the movie, a lot of the trees look dead. Oh, so it might just be win- they filmed this in Toronto, so like this is just maybe winter. <laughs> yeah exactly pre-winter you know like now till the end of november <laughs> actually i think if we look back at our calendars all of 1987 was winter pre-winter yeah mm. so what's your rating of the gate uh the gate it's weird because these are two completely different movies one of them is like really fun and goofy and dumb and the other one's like this is a good fucking movie so i feel weird giving it the same rating but i'm also giving the gate a three out of four because i think it's incredible but the the third act is very slow third act is so long when yeah, it's it just Glenn really alone in the oh, house. Yeah. And and things just keep happening and you're like, what what are we doing? And it's mostly <laughs> just him trying to like get down the stairs and then back up the stairs and then he stabs his the eyeball in his hand. Yeah, it's like I need to get the shotgun. I was like, oh I need to get the rocket. I'm like, no, I need to get the other rocket. Yeah, like they are they are having a harder time getting rid of this whiny little kid <laughs> than they were the other two people who were great at fighting back. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give it a three out of four as well. I think the effects are great. I think the characters are wonderful and really well spoken for kids and they feel real. Yeah, it's a little long and the story is a little eh, but it's great. It's fun. Everything's cool. Yeah, super cool use of crazy backwards speaking records with demonic possession, demonic messages and, and spells and whatnot. So great. 
So yeah, very and, like, 80s. So, so fun. That There's a whole thing about like horror is trying to like bring you back to when you were a kid. And this one so successfully does that. That even I didn't see this when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. I watch it and I feel nostalgic. That's like, great. That's that's a success, I would say. Yeah, I think this episode is a success. I'm gonna go ahead and pat ourselves in the back. In the fucking mighty, bag. Yeah, mighty <laughs> fine double feature here. <laughs> but what are you watching for Halloween this year? Yeah, tweeted us at NOFS Podcast. You can also sound off in our Facebook group. That is facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. We want to see your costumes. We want to know what parties you're going to. Invite us. Uh, and also, we want to know what you thought of both of these movies. Which do you like more, Trick or Treat or The Gate? Yep, and as this is our last episode before Halloween, John and I just want to wish you a super awesome happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, Stay safe, get drunk, do spooky things, and like all that jazz. We are controlling transmission. This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by Deadly Grounds, Coffee to Die For. Made from 100% Arabica beans, Deadly Grounds is horror-themed gourmet coffee without any fancy names or titles. This week's blend is Hell's Fury, the official coffee of hell. Hell's Fury is an ultra-dark roast, three-bean espresso, so decadent that it could only have been conceived in the underworld. Head over to getdeadly.ca to pick out your brew and use the promo code NIGHTMARE to get 15% off your entire purchase at checkout. That's getdeadly.ca and promo code NIGHTMARE to get 15% off. We're going to stick around for a few more minutes. We're going to play a game that I'm calling 31 Themes of Halloween. I'm going to quiz Kim on her knowledge of the theme songs in the Halloween movies, and we're going to see if she can pick apart the subtle nuances from one to the next. Yeah, spoiler alert, I'm going to do a really bad job. Like, so bad. So, so, so bad. Oh, I'm sorry, Kim. Don't you host a horror podcast? (laughs) Yeah, but it's one with zero credibility. That's very true. Uh, And I mean, honestly, (laughs) when was the last time we watched half of those movies? Yeah, and I swear, aren't the scores going to be so similar? Um, You know, as somebody who put this together... Yeah, (laughs) a lot of them are very similar. But you can listen to that bonus episode and all of our other bonus content at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street. We are a listener supported podcast. And if you want to support the show, you're going to get those episodes and a ton of other cool perks there. But that's it from us this week. I'm Kim. I'm John. Happy Halloween. And stay Stay creepy. creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do one more. Happy Halloween. And stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Now! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at N-O-F-S podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. <laughs>